But we are continuing our series this morning from uh, Peter's letter, First Peter, uh, and we are, this series is entitled "Exiles: A Letter to the Lost Who Have Been Found." And our text this morning is First Peter chapter one. We're going to begin reading in verse number thirteen, and we read these words. Peter writes, "Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind." Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. For if you call on the Father who without partiality Judges, according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Holy Spirit, thank you for um, your word and thank you, God, for your presence among us as we gather through the medium of the internet this morning We know that you are not subjected or confined by space or time, but you are with us in this moment. And your word is alive and powerful, and we pray that it would speak to us, convict us, change and transform us. And may, Lord, we be different as we apply this word than when we first began today. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me. Help me to speak not a single word of my own, but only that which is from you. And I pray, God, for your anointing to rest upon my life because it is the anointing um, that rests upon a human speaker that empowers um, and enlivens the word to our hearts. So I pray, God, that you would speak to us in these moments and change us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. David Elton Trueblood, 20th century Quaker theologian, um, and once served as the chaplain of both Stanford and Harvard University, wrote in his book, The New Man for Our Time, these words. He said, we have not advanced very far in our spiritual lives if we have not encountered the basic paradox of freedom." to the effect that we are most free when we are bound. But not just any way of being bound will suffice. What matters is the character of our binding. The one who would like to be an athlete, but who is unwilling to discipline his body by regular exercise and abstinence 
is not free to excel on the field or the tracks. His failure to train rigorously and to live abstemiously denies him the freedom to go over the bar at the desired height or to run with the desired speed and endurance. With one concerted voice, this is powerful, the giants of devotional life apply the same principle. For the whole of life, with the dictum, discipline is the price of freedom. We're going to talk about how we are really free today, but we can't really be free unless our lives are lived in a disciplined manner. I want to take just a moment and review last week very quickly, if I could. We learned that we are exiles. First Peter is all about us being strangers, exiles, pilgrims in this world. We don't belong here. This is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. More and more, as I talked about last week, it's starting to feel a little strange in this world. People are a little bit out of control and, and fear is, is rampant and, and everyone seems to, to be gravitating to one pole or the other. And those who follow Christ, we find ourselves more and more recognizing this is not our home. We don't belong here. Our ties are to heaven. We talked about last Sunday why that is true. What, what is it that makes us feel so strange? Why are we so much unlike the, the frenzied nature of our world? And I share with you three things. First of all, we, we talked about the fact that our hope is different than the world's hope. The world hopes for something. It's wishful thinking. They hope that something will change and then they can find happiness. But our hope is different because it is rooted not in wishful thinking, but in an established fact. And that is that Jesus Christ has already risen from the dead. Because he's alive, we have hope. It's not something we are wishfully thinking might happen that will give us happiness. It's that something has already happened. Jesus is alive. And our hope is rooted in that truth. We also talked about we feel a little strange in the world because we see trials not as negative, but as necessary. That's how our faith is developed. The trial of our faith, it refines our faith like gold is refined in the fire. And then we talked about we feel a little strange because the salvation that we possess is the envy of all of creation. And we ended last Sunday talking about even angels long to look into the salvation. They wonder at it. How is it we have what we have? We are exiles. We are the lost who have been found. And even through a difficult season, one in which we are living right now, we can await a glorious harvest and an incredible outcome. As we approach this world and this life as exiles, as we understand that we are merely passing through and our citizenship is in heaven and we are strangers here, as we do that, we need what the great Scottish preacher of the 20th century, Murdo Ewan MacDonald, called adequate internal resources. We need to have these adequate internal resources to help us navigate this world in which we are merely exiles. 
The focus last week was the nature of exiles. What, what do exiles look like? And now, and really the rest of the series, we're going to focus on the behavior and the lifestyle of exiles. What, how should we live in light of the fact that we are strangers and pilgrims here? I want to look at the subject today in three ways. Number one, we are going to talk about exiles that are going to navigate effectively and successfully in this world must have a prepared posture. That is a spiritual posture. And secondly, we're going to talk about we have to have a prepared practice, a godly practice. And thirdly, we're going to talk about we have to have a prepared perspective. That is an eternal perspective. Let me begin by talking about the first one. As exiles in this journey or on this journey, we must have the right posture. This is what Peter says. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice that Peter begins with the word therefore. In other words, since we know that we are exiles because of that fact, because we know who we are, we are exiles, we are strangers, we are to live a certain way. We will never reach our goal. We will never reach the hope that is before us. We will never arrive at the world to which we belong if we do not live appropriately in this life. We are in a world in which we are strangers, but we have to live effectively and appropriately in this life if we are going to arrive at our eternal inheritance and in our reservation that is already prepared in heaven. There are several aspects, two or three, that I want to mention this morning of this appropriate living. Number one, Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. The Greek idiom here would be roll up your sleeves and get down to work. That's really what he's saying. Gird up the loins of your mind. Don't just sit still, but but get yourself ready. Roll up those sleeves and start doing something. If you remember the uh, ancient Hebrews in the book of Exodus... We're told on the night of the Passover when the angel of the Lord passed through and took the firstborn of every Egyptian home and every home that did not have the blood put on the over the doorpost. They were told to eat the Passover meal with their clothes on. Keep your sandals on, keep your staff in your hand, keep your belt on your waist and take all of the overflowing robes and stuff them into that belt so that when the time comes, you'll be ready to go. Don't let anything hang down and get in your way. You don't want to trip and fall. So you are to have your cloaks gird up, ready for action, ready to move. Girded up and ready to progress so that nothing would hinder them. One of my favorite writers of all time, A.W. Tozer, says this, we must face the fact that many today are notoriously careless in their living. This attitude finds its way into the church. We have liberty, we have money, we, have, we live in comparative luxury. As a result, discipline practically has disappeared. What would a violin solo sound like if the strings on the musician's instrument were all hanging loose, not stretched tight, not disciplined? Far too many Christians today are undisciplined. They're, they're not girded up in the loins of their mind. They're living carelessly in this world. 
There is so much spiritual carelessness even in the church today. People not focused on the things of God. Everything else has taken priority. True exiles will gird those things up and will be ready for action. Peter says, not only gird up the loins of your mind, but be sober or self-controlled. It's a command that is repeated in this book on two other times, at two other occasions. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind that you may pray. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Three times, be sober-minded. I think we all understand that intoxication befuddles the mind. It takes away the ability to make sharp, prompt, and radical decisions, and one can easily be out of touch with reality if their mind is intoxicated with something other than their relationship and their walk with God. I know that when I speak about this, that I walk in areas that make some nervous, and I don't mean to offend anyone and not being judgmental here, but I would suggest to you that Peter's command here in a very real way is to be taken literally. Notice what he will say later in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust, and drunkenness, and orgies, and carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. So there are three times that he says, be of sober mind, and here he talks about an old way of living when you walked in drunkenness and debauchery. Many of us were taught from a very small age that abstaining from alcohol was the right way to live as believers. Now, while almost everyone, I would assume everyone that's honest with the word of God, would agree that drunkenness is forbidden in Scripture, it has become increasingly in vogue to socially drink and to do that proudly as we more and more find ourselves conforming to the world. I don't mean to make anyone feel nervous or feel judged here This morning, but let me just ask this question in light of the fact that we are to be exiles in the world. And scripture calls for ideals of holiness and preparedness for vigorous action and to be a witness to a lost world. Is it possible? Is it possible? And everyone has to make this decision on their own, but is it possible that a life of abstinence might still be a more appropriate and certainly more effective way to live as exiles in this world? as we prepare ourselves for an eternal inheritance. Now, to be honest, we can be intoxicated with the things of this world, even beyond alcohol. We can become intoxicated with pleasure and fame and success and riches. But Peter says, be of sober mind. Have your loins, your mind, the loins of your mind gird. And thirdly, we are to have a focused hope. Rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 3 of this first chapter, this opening chapter, we are to be born again into a living hope. The object of that hope is the grace that will be revealed to us when Christ comes. This is the salvation that the, the prophets didn't understand that the angels longed to look into. 
as much as we presently enjoy in this salvation. And it's a great life to know that you belong to Jesus. It's a, it's a life full of abundant living. But as much as we enjoy it now, the grace that will be revealed to us at the return of Jesus Christ will exceed our fondest imagination. Exiles live with that hope. They live with their, the loins of their mind girded up. They live sober. They live with a focused hope. Steve DeWitt, in eyes wide open, wrote these words. This world and its history, listen, are prelude and foretaste. All the sunrises and sunsets, the symphonies and the rock concerts, the feasts and the friendships are but whispers. They are a prologue to the grander story and an even better place. Only there, it will never end. He says, J.I. Packer said it so well, hearts on earth say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want this ever to end. But invariably, it does. The hearts in heaven say, I want this to go on forever. And it will. There can be no better or greater news than this. That is the anticipation that we have. That is the hope of the gospel. As exiles, we must have that right spiritual posture. The loins of our mind girded, sober, and looking and focused on that hope. Secondly, uh, in this journey, we must have the right practice. As exiles, we must have the right practice. Listen to what Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Notice that throughout your time of stay here. This is just a a temporary residence. But conduct yourself correctly during your temporary stay. This whole idea of having a right practice begins by remembering our relationship to God. Do so as obedient children. He is our father and we are his children. Scripturally, the role of a father is to care for his children. In Psalm 103, As a father has compassion on his children, so God has for us. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, If you are an earthly father and your son asks you for a piece of bread, you won't give him a stone. The the role of the father is to care for his children. But the characteristic of children is to obey. And so as obedient children, Peter writes. So first of all, we have to recognize our relationship to God. So how do we live as obedient children? Negatively, obedience to God means we will not go on living like we did before we became his children. So as obedient children, don't go on living, conforming yourselves to the former lust as you did in your ignorance. Peter is saying you used to live by pagan desires. All of those things that you loved when you were ungodly and not a Christian, those desires were evil. But as God's children, they, they will no longer pattern themselves after that old way and after a sinful world. 
You see, we are really supposed to look different than the world looks. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are to live lives, and it's a consistent teaching all the way through the New Testament. We are to live lives that do not conform to this world. John said, do not love this world or anything in the world. Because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but it comes from the world. What does that look like for us, to not be conformed to this world? It it means to not be preoccupied or be mesmerized by the pop culture of our world. Listen, there's nothing wrong, and we all enjoy ball games, and we enjoy concerts, and we enjoy music, and we enjoy all of those things. That's not what he's saying, not to enjoy them, but don't be mesmerized by them. Don't Don't be, find yourself embracing those things and loving those things more than God. I would just challenge you as parents, who are your children's heroes? That'll tell you about who and what you are mesmerized by. Who, who are your children's heroes? Are they godly people or are they part of this pop and worldly culture? Don't prioritize like the wind chasing culture does. Always searching for the dangling carrots, the sports, the vacations, the treasure. Don't conform yourself to the lust of this world. And don't position anything as more important to you than God. First John chapter 5, John ends that letter by saying, keep yourselves from idols. Don't let anything take the place of God in your life. You see, the world tries to conform exiles. This is such a powerful truth. If you miss everything else, I want you to get this. The world is, is bent on recognizing we are exiles and trying to conform us to the world. That's Satan's tool. Trevin Wax, writing for the Gospel Coalition, wrote a fascinating article about how the world tries to conform us to itself. And he uses the example of Daniel chapter 4 and Babylon's attempt to take the exiles, the people of God, from Judah who are now exiled in Babylon and tries to conform them to their way. You know the names, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, those four Hebrew children or, or exiled now in Babylon and now Babylon tries to conform them. Four ways. First, they isolate them. You are alone believing that way, Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego. Why are you praying, Daniel? Why won't you bow down to the, to the golden image? You are the only ones doing that way. That's what the world does to us. It isolates us. It makes us think that we're the only ones wanting to live this way. And then secondly, it indoctrinates us. In Daniel chapter 4, They tried to teach Daniel and the three Hebrew boys the ways of Babylon through education. They tried to indoctrinate them. The world is always trying to indoctrinate the people of God to think like they think. We're just blasted with the material and the secularism of this world. Our children are blasted with it in the education system far too often. It's indoctrination. First isolation, then indoctrination, then assimilation. Go ahead, bow down, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Don't don't worry about praying, Daniel. Just become like us. 
The world will applaud you if you step out and, and you think on your own and you're not led by that silly religion of one God that you grew up believing. And again, that's what the world does to Christians today. Our young people tries to assimilate them. Come on, step out. Doubt what your father and your mother believed. Question it. It's not, it, it's not really true. Assimilate into our way and finally confusion. The Babylonians changed the name of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They tried to confuse them. The world is so confusing today. And we are so easily sucked into the old way of life. Remember, we are exiles here. We should be different. We shouldn't assimilate. Augustine said we must stand against the world for the good of the world. If we're going to win this lost world, we've got to stand against it and be holy and be different. So negatively, it is to not be conformed to the former way positively. It is to be holy. By the first century, to be holy was to exhibit qualities like God. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. We should live lives that testify to the love and the character of God. That's holiness, exhibiting his character. We should witness always to the gospel. Our lives should always be a witness of the truth of the gospel. We should always show ourselves to be marked off, set apart, different. Our lives should always look like we belong to God and not to the world. So we must have the right posture, ready for action, sober and focused. We must have the right practice, obedient and holy children. And then finally, and I'll quit, as exiles in this journey, we must have the right perspective. If you call on the Father, Peter writes, who without partiality judges, notice that, according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed. This is powerful with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last days for you through him who believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass. And all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. Both our posture and our practice should be informed by a reverence for God as judge. He, without partiality, Peter writes, judges each one according to his work. We call on him to help us because he is our father. But he will ultimately judge all of us. Just because we are his children doesn't mean he won't judge us. He watches us. He knows us. And ultimately, he will judge us. So our lives must be informed by that reality. Formed by a reverence for God as our judge. A reverence, however, is not only based on an awareness of the inevitable judgment. 
But our reverence should also be rooted in gratitude for the great price that he paid for our redemption. Not only do I reverence God because I know one day he's going to judge me, I reverence him because he has done so much for me and paid such a great price. He has redeemed me from a life of bondage and emptiness and purposelessness. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, it was a life of futility. Nothing mattered. He's redeemed me from that and given me hope and eternal life. And the great redemption price, Peter says, was not silver or gold. But it was the blood of Jesus. The death of Jesus was not ordinary. It was sacrificial. Jesus, through his sacrificial death, has set us free from a futile, going-nowhere life. So, my goodness, the least we can do is walk in obedience and in reverence to him. And our reverence is furthermore shaped by the eternal work that has taken place in us. Listen, I I reverence him. I should live my life reverencing him because he's going to judge me. Because I'm grateful for the price he paid. But thirdly, I should reverence him because of the eternal work that has taken place in my life. Listen, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives forever. This new life, I'm almost done, can only be imparted by God. It is not corruptible seed. It is incorruptible. And that incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, imparts incorruptible or eternal life. God has always, listen, this is powerful. God has always initiated life through his word. Genesis 1, he said, let there be, and things came into existence. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He spoke the word was in the beginning, and the word brought life. Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And in verse 9, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood firm. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. That's how new life began. The day that you got saved. How did new life begin in you? It was when you by faith confessed. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, and it sparks new life in you. Therefore, we are expected to love one another fervently with a pure heart because of the eternal, incorruptible life that he has given us in Christ. As exiles, we need the right perspective. He is our judge, he is our redeemer, and he is our life giver. Yes, we are exiles, and things feel a little strange right now. But we are on a journey with great hope ahead of us. We need to be adequately prepared. Let me just close by giving you this little, it's really a very powerful truth. In verse four, we have an inheritance that is guarded. It's reserved in heaven. Remember that last week? It's reserved in heaven for us. It's an inheritance that Peter describes as an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled. That word incorruptible is the Greek word aphthartos. It means it's not subject to decay. That's what we have coming to us, an inheritance 
that is authartos. It won't decay. In verse 18, we were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but the blood of Jesus, which is, since it is not corruptible, corruptible, the word corruptible is simply thartos, subject to decay. But the blood of Jesus was not thartos. Silver and gold decays. It is, it is corruptible, but the blood of Jesus is aftartos. It's not corruptible. And in verse 23, we've been born again through the incorruptible aftartos seed of God's word. Look at me for just a moment. We have an incorruptible salvation that is not subject to decay. That was made possible by the incorruptible blood of Jesus and the incorruptible seed of God's word. We may be exiles on this journey, but we can be prepared because of the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ. Queen Victoria, who was the queen of the UK from 1837 to 1901, she once attended a service in St. Paul's Cathedral. She listened to a sermon that interested her greatly, and afterwards she asked the chaplain, can anyone be absolutely sure in this life of eternal safety. His response to her was, there is no way that anyone in this life could be absolutely sure. This incident was published in the court news and it came to the notice of a minister, just a humble minister by the name of John Towson. After reading of Queen Victoria's question and the answer she received, he prayed and then he sent the following note to the queen. To her gracious majesty, our beloved Queen Victoria, from one of her most humble subjects, with trembling hands, but a heart filled with love. And because I know that we can be absolutely sure now for our eternal life in the home that Jesus went to prepare, may I ask your most gracious majesty to read the following passages of scripture. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I sign myself your servant for Jesus' sake, John Townsend. John Townsend was not alone in praying about the letter to the queen. He took others into his confidence, and they too prayed for her. About two weeks later, John Townsend received this letter to John Townsend. I have carefully and prayerfully read the portions of Scripture referred to. I believe now in the finished work of Christ for me, and I trust by God's grace to meet you in the home of which he said, I go to prepare a place for you, signed Victoria Wolf. After Queen Victoria's discovery of Christian assurance, she used to carry a small booklet to give away. Its title was Safety certainty, and enjoyment. That's what she found in Christ. There's no greater way to be prepared for our journey as exiles than to be assured of the hope that we have in Christ. An incorruptible inheritance paid for by incorruptible blood and brought to life by the incorruptible seed of his word. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. For the authartos, the incorruptible seed of your word and the incorruptible blood of Jesus that has provided for us an inheritance that cannot decay, that is reserved in heaven for us. If there is one listening to me this morning who does not have the assurance of their salvation, I pray today that they would simply invite you to be the Lord of their life. Come and live inside of me, Jesus. Forgive me of our sin, my sin. 
and be my Savior and Lord. And I pray, God, as they pray that prayer, that they will know that they have received salvation and can be assured of that. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who know you, that you would help us in these days as we journey, even in a very difficult time, as we journey as exiles through this world and through this culture and through this season in which we live. May we live with the proper posture, with the proper preparedness and the proper perspective. And may we be ready when you return. And until then, may we always be witnessing to you and your holiness, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for hearing the word of God this morning. If you didn't know Jesus and you prayed with me today and made Jesus the Lord of your life, would you call us or email us? We'd love to pray with you more and kind of help you in your walk with him. Um, I want you to stick around. We're going to have a couple of announcements and then a time of worship, and then we're going to pray together at the end. But thank you so much for joining us at Glad Tidings this morning, and I trust the word of God was encouraging to you.